Just a few years before I was born, on Christmas Eve 1968, the crew of Apollo 8, Anders, Lovell, and Borman, were the first humans to orbit the moon. Some of you remember this. Jim Lovell was overwhelmed by this, the new perspective, this new vision, uh, the new way to look at the Earth. He stated in the live TV broadcast, the vast loneliness is awe-inspiring. And it makes you realize just what you have back there on Earth. I think God wants us to understand that too. Uh, we're experiencing a lot of loneliness, right? but a new perspective on the earth. The crew, starting with William Anders, took turns reading from Genesis 1. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and, and so on. They, they went through there. Of course, it finished up with, and God saw that it was good. Commander Frank Borman finished with this. He said, and from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. There was another way to look at this, though. Um, the, the woman who was instrumental in getting prayer removed from public schools also wanted it banned from outer space. Yeah, Miss Madeline Murray O'Hare, after hearing the words of the prayer radioed by these three astronauts as they circled the moon, said, I think that they were not only ill-advised, but that it was a tragic situation. <laughs> the noted atheist sued NASA over alleged violation of separation of church and state. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the case for want of jurisdiction. <laughs> I should say so. Right now, who, who is in charge at that level? Right? And the level, the cosmic level. Well, Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8, we saw that Paul came face to face with the one who had the authority, the true jurisdiction, the cosmic jurisdiction, and who truly wanted to bless the whole world. God bless you, everyone. Saul says, rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul was knocked off his donkey, and he discovered that, not that he was worshiping the wrong God, but that he was worshiping God wrongly. So seeing Jesus on the throne of heaven blinded him, and the vision of Jesus was the last thing that he saw. Knowing that hunting down the church was wounding the creator that he worshiped, Christ, the head, feeling the pain of his body, the, the church. So this energetic, virile, bounty hunter was humbled, blinded, pensive, and now led by the hand to Straight Street in Damascus, where they had a contact named Judas. There he fasted from food or drink to continue to place himself in a position to receive revelation. I need to pick this vision up where we left off. Uh, Jesus, come, come back. And this is takeaway number one for us. Jesus doesn't usually meet us in our comfortable situation. Jesus meets us when we are broken, and when we are suffering, when we're reaching out to him. And fasting is a way to physically demonstrate, to, to simulate, to instigate that needy position that our hearts 
sometimes only rarely feel. We, we fast physically to demonstrate what is really going on in our hearts. Acts chapter 9, 10 through 19, our passage for today says this, there, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Um, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Well, we're already to take away number two. Uh, Jesus knows his disciples by name. He calls them by name. He knows you. He sees you. Jesus calls you by name. There are no anonymous disciples. Dean Pinter says, no follower of Christ is anonymous. And if he calls you, what's, a, what's an appropriate answer? Here am I. Here am I. And the Lord said to Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints, your body at Jerusalem, your holy ones. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I think this brings us to takeaway number three. This should remind us that God can transform anyone. He's a persecutor of the church. He's a, he's a, he's a wolf. How dare I, I don't want to go in and talk to him. He's going to, what's he going to do to me? I encourage you right now to think about and actually make a list of those that you consider unreachable. I'm not saying that you hate them and they're the worst people ever, but you just know they are unreachable. Maybe because you've tried and it just hasn't worked out. Or you see them as a category of people that just, no, they're not the kind of people that God could reach. Go ahead, start writing them down. You'll be in good company with Ananias, right? Who, who said, God, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Not this guy. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to reach that person. You certainly don't want to reach that person. He's not a good guy. So write it down. Who are the people in your life or in, or in the world that you think are truly beyond God's reach? Practically speaking, we have a list, don't we? Is it, is it an estranged family member? Yeah, they're, they're gone. A surly neighbor? <laughs> Someone who's you'd consider an enemy, but maybe they're a, a little bit further away? Maybe a, a whole nation of people that you're just... You're just uh, foreclosed on. No way. No, there's no way they're reachable. Is that a rival person at work? Maybe a, a, a someone of another faith, maybe a radicalized Muslim, and you're like, no, I, they're unreachable. Maybe for you, it's a bigoted Christian. You look at these Christians and you're like, I just can't. God obviously can't get through them um, since they know Jesus and haven't done anything about it. Maybe even say these words aloud. Sometimes it's therapeutic to say what we really believe. Say something like this, Jesus, you were wrong. These people aren't salvageable. Right, Ananias comes and looks and looks at this vision and Jesus is saying, I, I want you to go reach this guy. And he's like, I, I think you're wrong about this guy. I don't, I don't think I want to go there. But he does. And we, we should. 
Dean Pinter says, when we read Acts 9, we should be struck, blind if necessary, by the fact that this is a story about what God can do with the person that we think is beyond God's reach and grace. We should be struck blind. So Ananias gets a pushback to, to Jesus. This isn't the guy. You don't want to reach this guy. He's bad news. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Whoa. <laughs> who's, who's going to be wounded now, right? He's going to tell the Gentiles to trade out their gods and goddesses and turn to the one true God. The God he finally met, that Paul met in person, who is Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of nations. I think that's takeaway number four. Jesus is the hope of nations. Go, he's going to spread my name to all these nations. I care about them. I mean, think about it. How, how many even now, how many in the world languish under bad leaders, bad characters, bad actors? Whether that's official governments or pressure groups or whatever. How many people in the world, what percentage languish under bad leadership, under poor kings? I can't even estimate it. But King Jesus is the good news. The news that Jesus is king is good news. King Jesus is good news. The best News for lonely, fearful, crushed humanity. Do you believe that? Do, do you Seriously, do you believe that? Poke someone next to you and say, King Jesus sounds like good news to me. Yeah, just, just do it. Or, or if you don't believe it, stick with me. He, he is good news. So the text goes on, Ananias departed and entered the house. He just goes in. Ananias goes in to Saul like a lamb before the wolf. <laughs> and I'll show you in a minute the strategy of Jesus. But this is it, basically. Send in the lambs. <laughs> Won't they suffer? Yeah, they'll suffer. But they will conquer through their suffering. Send in the lambs. And so, so Ananias goes in to Paul, uh, Saul, and he says, um, laying hands on him, the text says, he said, Brother Saul, oh, family already, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So that's our story. And, and we've had four takeaways so far. Uh, that Jesus meets us when we're broken. Um, that he calls us by name. That we're not anonymous, right? That he can transform anyone. And that Jesus is the hope of the nations. What I'd like to do now is just go backward through these takeaways and see how we can walk this out. Jesus is the hope of nations, all of them. All the families on the earth will be blessed through Jesus. All of the families on the earth. Uh, you might pause and read this, uh, this chapter, Luke 10, 1 through 24, if it's, if it's not fresh in your mind. But I'll read a few of the verses. 
This is when Jesus is sending out his disciples, not just the 12, but but 72. It says, uh, after this, the the preceding uh, stories, the Lord appointed 72, or maybe your footnote says 70. We'll talk about that. Depends on Old Testament translations. He sent out 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two. Go into the villages, every town and every place where Jesus himself was about to go. You are the, the preparation crew, two by two into all these villages. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you feel that? I feel that. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he says, go your way. And look, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And he goes on and gives them instructions, what to take, what not to take, how to process this when you go into a town. And, and he goes on, and, and, and it'd be good if you were familiar with that. But, but go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What's wrong with this pep talk? <laughs> See if you can guess it. <laughs> yeah, lambs among wolves. <laughs> oh, sign me up. But let's look back at their report after their adventure. When they debrief with Jesus, after spreading the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, they return, verse 17 of Luke 10. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. The lambs, nothing's going to hurt the lambs. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus, I think, is remembering his temptation in the wilderness. Satan had offered in his temptation, the kingdoms of the world. All you need to do is just bow down to me, says the Satan, and, and you, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was certainly a lamb before the wolf there, wasn't he? He was fasting and praying, and, and in, in a, a moment of temptation, he speaks the word of God to counter what Satan is doing. And now his people are treading on the head of the serpent. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Satan is falling from his places of power as his people go out like lambs. Can I say that again? Satan is falling from his places of power as his people go out like lambs. Send in the lambs. Isn't it interesting that when God becomes king again, when he announces God is coming, he's becoming king, the kingdom of God, he doesn't send in the tanks. God's king again. Here he comes. He doesn't send in the tanks. What does he do? When he establishes his kingdom, he sends in the meek, the poor, the broken, the humble. Send in the lambs. Wow. Predicted in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent would bite the heel of the Savior, this one who would come, but the serpent's head would be crushed. And now we're seeing as, he, as they debrief that that even a lamb's hoof can crush a serpent's head in Jesus' kingdom. The sufferers will overcome. 
So Jesus sending out the 70 or 72 actually matches the nations of Genesis 10. You can pause and, and go look at that too. That's when the, all the nations of the world were divided and, and we see that they were divorced by Yahweh in Genesis chapter 11. That's the Tower of Babylon event, which you're probably familiar with. But then, then Yahweh started over in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham to eventually bring blessings to all the families of the earth. So yes, they were sent packing, but they are coming back and Jesus is sending Paul out to launch this Gentile mission to all those nations, to reject their gods and goddesses, and to turn back to the one true God. So this odd bit about uh, 70 or 72 is interesting. You're like, oh, another error, another contradiction. Well, no, it's actually really interesting that, that Luke has picked up, and then those who were passing down Luke's story were like, well, is it 70? Is it 72? That's kind of interesting. It's based on the number of nations in Genesis chapter 10. But it depends on whether you're reading the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, or the Hebrew version. So we know that Luke is looking right at this list of nations. It, it's a minor anomaly, but it's actually really cool because it makes certain that Luke was meaning to touch on this, this number symbolizing the Gentile nations that had been sent packing for their rebellion. They were divorced, dismissed under the authority of other divine beings. God said, okay, you're in charge of this one, you're in charge of this one. You're... But those divine beings became corrupted. They sought the worship of these people. We have a whole corrupt system. You could read that in Psalm 82. But Yahweh is going to reach out and redeem them because the nations are not far from his heart. All those nations are actually touched on in the book of Acts as well. Luke is mapping out God's plans to bring the nations back to him. And, and Luke certainly had this in mind, and he got it from Paul, because Paul wanted to complete the mission that he was given, to, to bring the message of forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of Jesus to all the nations that were divorced and, and put under the management of other divine beings. He had this in mind. He, he wanted all of them. And all of those nations are ticked off in the book of Acts, this one, and then that one, and this one, and that one. Maybe you, you know this, De Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. Uh, this is kind of the closing song of, of Moses to his people. And, and in this passage, there's a lot of intriguing stuff. But one thing, he says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he'll show you. Your elders, they'll tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance... Well, what did they inherit? The nations. Well, he divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, these divine beings. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Right? We know that. He, he says, Jacob, you're my portion. Abraham, you are my inheritance. So now Paul is given the mission to all these Gentiles, these pagan idol-worshiping, bacon-eating <laughs> nations. And, and he wants to get to every single one of them. Paul wants to get after each one of these Gentile nations. So every one of these 70 nations is shown to receive a message of the gospel, except for one, actually. Uh, Tarshish is, is not brought forward from Genesis chapter 10 into the book of Acts. But Tarshish is Spain, and Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Romans that he intended to go to Rome, but only as a stopping point because he wanted to preach in Spain. 
Right? He imagined the completion of this mission to all of these nations, these 70 nations, the whole world. Well, of course, he couldn't have imagined the native populations in Australia or Argentina, right? The Philippines or Peru. But they are still on God's heart, though. And they live large in God's imagination. And, and I think he's holding off the cataclysmic end of world powers by his mercy so that all can receive the message of forgiveness. The healing of Israel began with Jesus, yeah? And now the Jesus people are to do for the world what Jesus did for Israel. We take the message of the healing of the nations through forgiveness of sin and allegiance to Jesus. And all that began with the healing and forgiveness of Saul and the filling of the Spirit. So that's the grand story that we're still in. I think it's kind of amazing. Okay, that was a long takeaway, right? That Jesus himself um, is, is coming after the nations, that he absolutely loves the nations. He wants to transform them. Uh, the takeaway three, as we work backward, is that he can transform anyone. Anyone. Ananias had a true vision for Saul. Jesus gave him a vision for Saul. I want you to understand this about Saul. Saul couldn't see it physically. Um, and he also didn't really know what was up, but, but it was revealed to Ananias. So I want you to think about this. How would we coach someone? Many of you are followers of Jesus. How would you coach someone who was feeling like God had given up on them, that they were lost in their sin? They had no value before God. They feel invisible, broken, and lost. How would you coach that person? Well, wouldn't, wouldn't we say, well, no, there, there is forgiveness of sins. He can transform anybody. No sin is too much that, that Jesus can't save you. There is no, no pit that you can go in from Jesus' presence. His love is deeper still. So, so what we need to do is we need to coach ourselves. We need to believe the gospel for ourselves and for our neighbors, because he can transform anyone. So can we get a vision for those who are blind to their calling, deaf to the call of God? Because many around us have no vision for what God could accomplish through their lives. But we, we have a new perspective, don't we? Yeah, we don't, we don't look at people that way anymore. We're like those astronauts who now can see the earth from, a, from God's perspective and say, I get what he's doing. I see the loneliness and I I get the new perspective. For 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, Paul later writes, he says, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, according to human wisdom and, and what they look like and, and all that. No, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and, and look, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, brought us back into fellowship, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so we can bring other people back. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Oh, did you catch that word? Christ is entrusting to us 
the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus, how come you're not out there healing and offering forgiveness? <laughs> I, I have offered you, I've given you to do for the world what I have done for Israel. You are ministers of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Takeaway two, working back up the list, he calls us by name. He sees you. He understands you. You're not anonymous to him. He knows you and he has a plan for you as a minister of reconciliation. We talk of a Paul you know, and Timothys that, that pour into those um, who who pour into those who pour into those, right? Paul poured into Timothy, who pours into Titus, and the disciple who disciples the people who make disciples, right? You're, you're going this on, but where does it start? It starts with a guy named Ananias. <laughs> Ananias isn't mentioned again in Scripture, but he doesn't really need another mention, does he? He, he? he was there, obedient to pour into Paul, to open his eyes, so that he could see his vision. Wow, how would you like to lay hands on a Paul, right? That could, that could pour into a Timothy and then pour into those who could pour into others, right? We see that in, in 2 Timothy 2, 2. Uh, Paul telling Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so it goes, and so it did until it got to us. Let it, let it not stop with us because we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. So you may not feel like a Paul or a Timothy or even maybe Timothy's grandmother Lois or, or his mother Eunice who raised the next generation in the faith. But each one of us can be a reluctant, cautious, yet obedient Ananias, right? Raise your hand. You can, you can be reluctant, cautious, but obedient disciple like Ananias and let Jesus take it from there. Takeaway number one, he meets us when we are broken. He meets us when we're broken. That, that status can be, um, can be brought about through a humbling of ourselves and fasting and prayer. But there's a lot of ways to, to allow yourself to be humbled, to be struck blind, to be knocked off your donkey, to be overwhelmed by God's heart for you and for the lost. And so if you don't have a vision for the unreachables in your life, sit in silence and humility, fast and pray. Join us on our Friday night prayer nights and let's pray for a list of people. Ask God to give you the calling. I'm gathering people on Sunday nights who have lost ones in their lives that they have been unable to reach as yet. The message just hasn't clicked. It hasn't gone out. So we're listening to the Spirit, reading His Word, putting things into practice. And that's what we do. That's the method. It's just that reluctant but yet obedient disciple who says, okay, here I am. Would you want to be an Ananias who just says, here am I? Let's move forward together in this.